Busy as a global co-working and conference community, we've had our fingers on the pulse of co-working since 2012, and we've connected thousands of operators, both in person and online. On the Juicy Podcast, we talk with the people making it happen day in and day out. Let's get to it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Juicy Podcast. I have Flip Howard with us today. And Flip is the CEO of Lucid. And Lucid has been around for a amazing 23 years. So good morning, Flip. How are you today? Morning. I'm great. Thanks for having me. And I'd love to hear more about how like you are as a human. <laughs> well, I'm a big family guy. I got seven kids and just had my first grandkid. My two oldest kids are married. I have my first grandkid two months ago, and I'm finding what everybody said about grandparenthood being even better than parenthood to be true. So it's amazing. I'm, yeah, it's uh, super blessed. I love it. I love it. And how's business? Business is finally pretty good again, I guess, is the best way to put it. You know, we, mm-hmm. our business was awesome 2018 and 19, and obviously mm-hmm. 2020 was terrible, and then we thought it'd all get better, and 21 was still pretty bad, and then 22 was still kind of bad for us, and that was mm-hmm. really kind of frustrating that it lasted that long. And then 23 was our first year since before COVID that kind of every month was better than the month before. So it, it's still not quite back to as easy as it was in 2019, mm-hmm. but at mm-hmm. least it feels like we're, <laughs> you know, most of the way back and headed in the right direction and kind of out of the existential threat phase. So kind of a little and, bit of a sigh of relief. And what do you attribute 2023 being the year to? I think we just, it seems like Fortunately and unfortunately, we've just kind of the market has just kind of settled into what office usage looks like now. I think in 21 and 22, it was still who knows what we're going to do. And people, I think, finally realize, okay, COVID's over, but the office use is not like it was pre-COVID. So what does it look like now? And everybody's settled into there. You know, these certain groups are five days a week. These certain group are no days a week. And most of these ones are two or three or four. And everybody's kind of figuring it out what that is and how that means they need to use their office space. And so they're you, us and others for whatever they need to use it for. So I think that's interesting because I feel like people are still sorting it out. I do think a lot of people have kind of figured it out and there's a lot of hybrid out there. I definitely think they've finally come to the reckoning that you can't just say you have to come back to the office five days a week because you lose too many good people doing that. But for me, it feels like like a lot of companies, especially big companies, still don't know where to land. But I think the good news is they're getting space in the meantime in co-working spaces and business centers and whatever you want to call it because people need to work and they need places to work. Yeah, I think you probably bring up a good point of clarification. I don't think that we will really figure it out for years. I think at mm-hmm. least now people are taking action. They're realizing they can't wait anymore. They have to do something. Right. And they're using language as though they've got it figured out more. And they're saying, we know what we're doing now. I see most of that, <laughs> most of their solutions, you know, being modified over the next couple of years as they figure out, okay, this works better than that. Or, and I'm still, I'm sort of an old school office guy. I know obviously we'll never get back to the everybody's five days a week in the office, like pre-COVID, but I still think that the spectrum is a little bit skewed towards remote. I'd like to see a little more in office, but obviously nothing like nothing like 2019. Yeah, I think it has to settle back down into more office than not. And the reason being is we're humans and we crave connection and we need community 
and you're not getting that at home or you're not getting that at the coffee shop that you drop into for two hours that like you need a place where you can get that connection. Yeah. And I, the, one of the analogies I use a lot is it, it feels to me like, you know, when you're on vacation, you can still work with quotation marks around the word work. You can still keep balls in the air. You can keep, mm-hmm. keep from dropping balls. You can, but you don't really move things forward. You just sort of keep it going. And I feel like a lot of remote work does that. Uh, and obviously it depends. Every industry is different. Every human's different and all that. But mm-hmm. I think that it's much easier to have a, a largely remote team when it's all team members you've had forever. But what do you do about onboarding new teams? And, you know, the more years go by, the more people are new. And so, yeah, there's a lot of elements that I think will cause us to have a little more in office. At least I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. Because I think as humans, we need it. And I think like a lot of us are missing some of these social opportunities that used to be just easy and done all the time because we all just went to the office. Well, and people don't realize, it's funny, (laughs) my wife actually is the one she wants me i mean our marriage is great and we get along fantastically but she wants me in the office more it's funny (laughs) she's like home used to be a place of like peace and relaxation for you Mm -hmm. and i don't like it that there's this blending and home is now a place where you're distracted and you mean flip comes out and you you know you've got Mm -hmm. this whole you know she (laughs) there is something about that separation of where it's not just groundhog day and everything's done from the same spot and you're supposed to magically transition so yeah i think there's some of that element too oh and i think also like you know i really like the idea of your home is your haven Right. Right. And I don't like that I've had to carve out a room in my house for my office. Like I want to take back my real estate and put that somewhere else. And I do think that, you know, home offices are kind of a privilege for a lot of people and that not everybody has those that opportunity. And I think also that, yeah, it's get out of your house. Like it's not good for your marriage. It's not good for your family. It should be this haven and we've muddied the waters now well and i use this other analogy a lot i you know one of our kind of tagline slogans is work is good where you do it matters and i think that the second half of that that where you do it matters thing like your physical surroundings just really matter you know people pay Mm -hmm. ten thousand dollars to go fly across halfway across the world to some you know beautiful beachside resort to lay by the pool or by the ocean and drink a beer and you can do the same thing you know in a roadside motel by the highway Mm -hmm. for 60 bucks but it would be depressing Mm -hmm. and you're doing you're literally doing the exact same thing but your surroundings matter and it's kind of the same when you're getting work done you know if you're at an invigorating stimulating environment where other people are accomplishing things and and there's a you know just an energy about it it's just totally, totally different than, you know, putting your head down at your home office by yourself and cranking it out. So. Completely, completely. And like today I'll drive to a co-working space because I've been home a lot and I am ready to be around people and I need to get some stuff done and I do get energy from being around other people. So yeah, I think I'm in, in violent agreement with you. So congratulations, by the way, 23 years is pretty freaking epic and you're still going, you're we still are. expanding. We are. Yeah, it's, it's been a long ride. And it's, you know, the last four years, especially has been a challenge, but, but yeah, no, we're still doing our thing, still growing. And I'm optimistic about the future of, of flex it, you know, I, office space in general you know, kind of remains to be seen. I, I think we're kind of in for some, maybe a little bit of a bloodbath over the next four or five years mm-hmm. and, and a lot of, a lot of markets and a lot of kind of subcategories, but I don't think flex is one of those categories. I, I think, you know, 
that pretty much everybody is in agreement that, it, you know, a lot of companies that didn't used to use Flex are going to need it now. So I think we're pretty well positioned. Well, it's so interesting, too, that I think it's fun that you use the term Flex because I was crawling around your website today. And it's funny because you guys mention that you're an alternative to casual co-working or outdated office suites. But then later you're an office-focused co-working company, but you also simply identify as private office. And I'm like, this is hilarious. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about nomenclature because you've seen it all, right? You've seen all these different versions, right? The office business centers and yeah, all of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So walk us through, does the nomenclature matter? It totally matters. And unfortunately, I'm not a big enough company to set the nomenclature. You know, we're local, mm-hmm. we're regional. And so we have to kind of, we're at the mercy of what people are, what words people are using to describe it. I think it matters a lot. I think it's something that's really hurt our industry over the last 20 years. And mm-hmm. it's a reason why, you know, it's funny. Regis is in, I don't know how many, 3,000 buildings in the world or a thousand of them in America or whatever. And mm-hmm. nobody's, and on the street, Unless someone has had a reason to office in one, nobody's heard of Regis. Everybody's heard of WeWork, even though they're new and, you know, most mm-hmm. people haven't used them either. They sort of set this whole co-working thing and, the, you know, they sort of set that term. I, the reason why, it, like, if you look at our website, you'll see a, a mix of verbiage. We're private offices because, like, our name, and I don't know of any other company that has the words private offices as their name. You know, we're lucid private mm-hmm. offices. We do it because that's really our differentiating factor. You know, I feel like in, in our industry, there are a lot of kind of old school, traditional hallway of doors, like a, like an executive suite. And then there's a lot of the newer, casual, more open, you know, kind of more a younger vibe spaces. And there's really not any, anybody that I'm seeing do the private office focused, but modern contemporary filled with energy, filled with light, mm-hmm. open, you know, and. So that, you know, that's what we're trying to do. The reason I like the term co-working, I, I wish co-working would stick a little more heavily to describe not open tables, you know, mm-hmm. people with headphones on, but like actual, the center, the space, the, the whole private offices and hot desks and dedicated desks and everything else. The problem is the reason why we haven't used it like exclusively throughout our website consistently is that for a lot of, I don't know, say customers over the age of 40, they immediately still associate that that term with mm-hmm. foosball tables and bean bags and beer kegs, and they're like, "I don't want that." You know, well, hopefully, the time will solve that. I guess we'll see. What's your take on nomenclature? Well, I really dislike the term flex because it's so non-descriptive, mm-hmm. and it feels like it's just explaining flexible lease terms, and it's also SEO wise like a complete dud. Right. So, so I don't love flex. And I think also it's kind of just the term that real estate uses because they could never understand co-working. And I am, I'm doubling down on co-working as per usual, because I like the bones of co-working. I like that it's around community. I like that there is open space. I like that there's options. I like that you know, in our industry, and part of the reason I do Juicy and I dedicated so much of my time to co-working is I really believe 
that we have a responsibility to help proliferate spaces where people feel belonging and community because of the loneliness epidemic that exists. So, you know, if, and I don't, Flex doesn't do that. Flex is just a place to go work with flexible lease terms, I think. But I do think it's interesting because also if you look at the associations, they change their names every few years to get on whatever the sexy term of the moment is. You know, it's the Global Workplace Association. It's the, you know, London, it's business centers. And Australia is the flexible workplace, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like going to stay consistent on co-working because I think it matters. Yeah, I agree. And I hope that your efforts, I mean, you're in a position, you know, where you have a lot more global reach than me. I'm pretty... Mm -hmm regional and I'm stuck, you know, like, yeah, I use the word flex when I'm talking to real estate brokers. I've never used mm-hmm. it to talking to a client. Yeah. yeah. It's just kind of yeah. different. Because they don't cool. know. Yeah. Because right. people don't know what flex is. It's no. like, I think, I do think, I disagree with you. I do think people have heard of Regis, which I think is funny because they are IWG and everybody still just calls them Regis. No matter what they do, they're Regis. Yeah, they just right. too much take on that. And so, yeah, I, I do think it matters. I think it's interesting. I'm going to stick with co-working. Uh, yeah, there you go. Well, and, you know, when you you were at Juicy in Chicago, when I was like, we need to all identify as hospitality. And I was glad to see that hospitality was on your website because I do think we have been incorrectly put into the real estate category and that we're a hospitality business. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's so, kind of our, yes. Sorry, yeah. yeah. So I think it's interesting. I've looked how many locations do you have now? 19, 20? I think we're 25. Jeez. Yeah. Jeez, yeah. Flip. Uh, and I am fascinated with, and I want to learn your strategy on why Dallas, Atlanta, and Phoenix. Yeah, and Houston. Well, it's a pretty simple strategy. It's really, yeah, I, I always say in our business, it doesn't require a lot of future predicting. We just, even in sub-markets within those markets, we just go to the places that are hot. You know, it's not Mm. like I'm having, I'm only doing a 10-year lease, so I can't afford Mm -hmm. to go, you know, speculate on some rural area that's going to be hot and land values are going to go up. Like, I need some place to to sell offices next month. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of the same with, with why those markets. We chose, I like, cosmopolitan, large, big, you know, NFL type cities in the Sun Belt that are growing. Okay. So if you look at the, not percentage wise, but gross numbers wise, mm-hmm. the cities that have had the most people move to them in the last five years are in order, Dallas, Atlanta, Phoenix, and Houston. Mm-hmm. And so there you go. What about uh, Miami? You know, I thought Miami was on that list. It is. I think it was fifth actually, but it's not fifth mm-hmm. on our list. Like the next cities that we would do, the ones kind of on our radar now are Nashville and Charlotte and Tampa, mm-hmm. Orlando. Miami's a whole different game for a couple of reasons. One, it's really expensive. And yeah. so it's just Florida was, we tried to get into Florida, you know, kind of 2021, 2022, and it had mm-hmm. such an influx that it, prices felt a little frothy. Like it's a bad time to lock in a 10 year mm-hmm. supply. And the markets that I'm in, Dallas, Houston, Phoenix, and Atlanta, like the rate of growth goes up or down, but it never, the prices never like go down, down. And as you know, in our business, if you buy a 10-year supply high and prices go down, you can be in trouble. So I'm a little more cautious. We'll eventually maybe get to markets like, you know, coastal gateway markets like DC and New York and LA and Miami, but they're a, a, a riskier proposition for that reason. You got to time it better. 
Juicy is headed to Salt Lake City. Join us in Utah on April 9th through 11th for Juicy North America. We'll have a three-day program where the mountains meet the city and co-working is just around the corner. We invite you to join our community for a real-time co-working and hospitality experience, Juicy style. In addition to the conference, we'll have a mix of work and play activations for you and your team to take advantage of. Whether you're up for outdoor thrills, exploring the art scene, or digging into local cuisine, we've got you covered. We chose Salt Lake because it's such a cool place with warm vibes, and we're ready to welcome you. For more information about Juicy North America, head to na.gcuc.co. Speakers and more to come. See you soon. Yeah. Well, and it's also interesting because generally what I see is, you know, I always recommend when I talk to people that they like cover up their city first. And once you've covered up your city, then go to another city like in the same state. And you did that, right? You did Dallas. But now you've branched out quite a bit into kind of the East Coast and the West Coast. And has that been difficult or have you guys got it figured out? Because I always see like everybody's like, it's just a three hour flight. Well, no, it's not because you've got to pack and then you've got to get there and then you've got to go to the airport and then, you know, and it ends up being all day. Yeah, we we probably went a little. We first covered up our city. Dallas, where I live, mm-hmm. probably a little too heavily. I think we have 17 mm-hmm. just in Dallas. Um, and there's a little, there's just, we didn't quite realize there's some cannibalization when you do that. So, you know, if I had it to do over again, I probably would do 12 to 14 in Dallas, mm-hmm. maybe 10 to 12 even. And then when we hit these other cities, you know, right now we only have five in Houston and three in Atlanta. We'll probably settle it, you know, seven to 10 in, in Houston and we, five to seven in Atlanta, things like that. Mm-hmm. As far as the the challenge, obviously it'd be easier if they were closer. You know, Houston is easier. You don't even think about things like, you know, our company Christmas party, right? you know, we can mm-hmm. drive some people up for Houston for not that expensive, but it's really expensive to fly everybody from Atlanta there. You know, there's, there are some barriers yeah. how, of, how often we end up going down to Houston a lot more often than we go to Atlanta because it's just, you know, it's closer. But I still think it's worth it. Those home run locations, in those no-brainer sub-markets. If you can get those deals, you know, kind of anything's worth it. So that's why, you know, like we did three in Atlanta and then we have two coming in Phoenix that aren't open yet. And, you know, we'll do those two before locations four and five in Atlanta because these locations one and two in Phoenix are just such no-brainer sub-markets. You know, if you were to say, okay, in Phoenix, where do you want to be? And you just put two dots, you go, oh, you want to be right there and right there. And so that's Mm -hmm. what we did. And I just don't see a way that they don't succeed. So we kind of do the most no-brainer locations first and then move to the, okay, there's a 90% chance this one will work. And then once those are full, okay, let's go to the 80% chance location. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you guys are signing leases, correct? Correct. We have a couple of old management agreements left, but all of the recent expansion, all of it has been with traditional leases. So a lot of people said like that was a downfall if we work was the lease arbitrage model. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, let me count the ways of the downfall. You know, there's a lot of things, obviously. (laughs) I would say that signing leases obviously makes your, our business proposition riskier. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you've got other fatal flaws, it will expose them faster, which Mm -hmm. so there's a there's a there's not there's not no truth to that story about WeWork. And that was part of their downfall. And I I think even doing management agreements that anyway, there's a lot of things wrong with their business model or the way they did it. I still say the way I describe management agreements versus leases is I think the best management agreements are better than the best leases. I think there's an alignment between the 
between the landlord and the mm-hmm. co-working company that, that can't really be had in the traditional lease scenario. And I think it, it, in an ideal scenario, it's the best, it's the best one. The problem is it's also the worst one um, because, or can be the worst one, you know, mm-hmm. because there's really no skin in it from the operator. And so you see spinners opening that just shouldn't open, you know, there, there's really nobody vetting it. Uh, whereas if I open a new location in Phoenix or Atlanta, I'm really, really certain that they're going to work. I'm not doing a deal that may or may mm-hmm. not work because I can't sign my name to a lease, you know, kind of sign it in blood if I'm not really sure it's going to work. So I think that's a really key element that is missing in some of the management agreements is that. So now the other reason why I do them is, uh, you know, margins are tight. And so particularly now with real estate costs going up and up, and there seems to be kind of a, a ceiling on how much people are willing to pay for co-working space per desk. You know, you start getting north of 40 bucks in gross rent. Mm-hmm. And you got to charge, you got to charge 600 a seat to make that work. And that, you know, it's pushing the, the northern end of how much you can get for co-working space. So when you, to do a management agreement, you know, the landlord obviously wants some extra rents to compensate mm-hmm. for their, for, for them eating all the risk. And, you know, that really eats into what's left to go around. I think, you know, more often than not, there's not much left to go around. I thought it was kind of funny in the COVID thing. And when, after we work, you know, sort of had its fall from grace. And then a lot of co-working spaces started going under during COVID. Everyone, you know, prevailing thought in the industry is, well, everything's going to be management agreements now. And, you know, because it sort of shifts the risk from the operator to the landlord, which you know, mm-hmm. it does. But I think you're starting to then also see a lot of the reward going to the landlord. You're starting to see more and more landlords treat this as it's their company, it's their business. They'll find somebody to operate it for a minute, almost like a deli in a building. But, you know, as soon as we're done with you, we'll get somebody else in here to do it. And, you know, I prefer to have a real, you know, a real location that's really mine, that the clients are really mine. And then I've got, uh, A, I, I like keeping all the profits. And then B, I like having a business that is, that I'm in control of, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's super smart. It makes sense for you. I don't think it makes sense for everybody. And I am seeing a lot more management agreements, especially outside the U.S., which is interesting. And I am also seeing kind of a hybrid kind of lease management model as well. Kind of Mara is doing something like that. So I think it's I think it's still evolving. But I think with the inevitable, you know, crash of office real estate, that rates are going to get a lot better and there's going to be a lot more opportunity. And quite frankly, I think it with, you know, real estate having a huge correction in office, Folks like you who know who they are, who've been doing this for a long time, are going to absolutely thrive. Have a lot of opportunity to get into some really good buildings. Yeah, we're already seeing it. Our two buildings in Phoenix were buildings that weren't in, you know, we approached them in 20, I don't even remember what year, a few years ago, and they weren't Mm -hmm. interested in us. Mm -hmm. You know, they said, we don't want your kind here, basically. Yeah. And then, you know, we, they're now they're starting to see the writing on the wall of what's coming in office. And now they're you know, knocking down my door saying, hey, we'd love to have you here because it's, and that's some really cool opportunity. It is interesting though, that it feels to me like, you know, I think everybody thinks that office, you know, is going to have some really strong headwinds in front of it for the next few years and have a lot of struggles. But in certain markets, like some of these Sunbelt, cosmopolitan growing cities I'm talking about, and then in certain submarkets of those markets, you know, the hottest areas of town, and then in certain, you know, sort of class A assets in those submarkets, they're thriving. Like there's, 
if there's, you know, a thousand buildings in Dallas, the top 20 are charging more than ever. Right. And so that's a real challenge because those are the buildings I want to be in. And they're kind of saying, yeah, we hear our rates should be coming down. Guess what? They're not. They're going up. And yeah. 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 Class A is going to be fine because the thing is, is now people have awakened to, oh my gosh, we have to be sustainable. Oh my gosh, we have to have environments that are good for the humans, you know, and have really great light and have all these, the amenity thing, you know, there's, if there's 50 co-working spaces, you're going to go where you identify and what feels best to you. And a lot of times that means going up in quality. So yeah, class A kills it. But I think it's super interesting the markets you're in because the other thing I talk about a lot and that I've been super fascinated with is how cities are coming back post-COVID. And what I find is, you know, most, I, I think that if you are a very good walkable downtown core, you do well. If you're not so great walkable, the core doesn't do as well. And, you know, I haven't been to Atlanta post-pandemic, but Atlanta, you know, is an interesting city. I know it well. I used to live there. You know, Midtown can be great, but a little sketch. Downtown's totally sketch. Buckhead at times is sketch. So it's, I'm curious how you figure out where in these big cities that have like pockets coming back where to go, like where is it, where yeah. are you finding this data or is it just going there and getting a feel for it and seeing it? Like, how do you determine? And I totally understand. You're like, yeah, these are trade secrets. We're not telling you. Liz, no, trying to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably a, a listener is going to assume that I'm dodging this question because they're trade secrets. I'm trying to not share. The real answer is I don't know. Uh, mm. I don't, I, don't, I it more, we look at all kinds of data and have all kinds mm. of fancy, fancy graphs and spreadsheets and all this. And at the end of the day, I analyze it all and usually throw it away and go with gut based on, oh, like you good. said, just kind of driving around. Mm-hmm. I like in that. So Dallas, Houston, Phoenix, and Atlanta are all pretty similar in that we don't, we have tiny downtown locations and they don't do well. Yeah. Our ones that do well are like in Atlanta, my first two were Alpharetta and Cumberland, which are a long ways from downtown. Yeah. We do have one coming in Buckhead, which is, you know, still not too close to downtown. Like you said, it can be, I think I'm Buckhead has had a lot of negative publicity and has been a little sketch the last few years. I'm very optimistic about Buckhead for the next 10 years. I think the next year or two may still have some remaining mm-hmm. uh, kind of hangover from that. But I think that the other thing is with our customer base skews, we're a little more expensive. We're a little more high end. We're a little more private office focused. We're a little more kind of grown up mature. So we don't do a lot of like public transportation riders. We don't do a lot of CBD stuff. Like we need office buildings with parking lots where people drive a car there, you know, that kind of thing. So our bread and butter is the more suburb, upscale suburban, not, Mm. you know, not rural by any means, but upscale suburban is kind of our, if you find a, you know, a a neighborhood that there's a, there's one of those outdoor town center type shopping malls, Lululemon and a Tesla store and an Apple store. We want to be within about a mile of that. That's our thing. Yeah. Yeah. I do think, yeah, I, that's what I was like trying to get at is core isn't that great. It's upscale suburban for you. And that makes tons of sense because that's where a lot of those people live. That's where they shop. That's where they eat. So I think it's really, really smart of you. 
Okay, we're about out of time. So I'm going to ask you a couple fluffy questions just so we can get to know you a little bit better, Flip. Uh, what's your favorite book you read last year? Favorite book I read last year? Oh my goodness, this is really embarrassing. I probably <laughs> didn't read a book cover to cover last year. Absolutely. I'm going to be honest. I, I wish I, I should just okay. lie. Okay, what's your favorite? That sounds really smart. What's your favorite like news uh Oh my goodness. I hate all of them. So I, I try to make sure to every, I, I get wrapped up in it. And so every morning I tr I mm -hmm. go to my, I don't watch any actual television news. I feel mm -hmm. like a total waste of time, but I'll check on my app. And it's a really funny, I'll go to the CNN app and the Fox news app and I'll give, mm -hmm. I want to see what like both sides of the country are absorbing. Yeah. And I try to give them equal time and then turn it off. And mm -hmm. so that's my, I feel like it's a quicker way to scroll through the news. I don't, I haven't turned on like a television set and had on a cable mm -hmm. news channel in, you know, years, years same, but same. yeah. 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 I go to a bunch as well. I check, like I look at the New York times. Sometimes I look at the wall street journal, but I also, I also peruse a lot what people are doing on LinkedIn. I'll check Twitter. I'm all over the place. Yeah. Um, I don't even have social media. I, I, I have no I don't have a Facebook page. I don't have LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess somebody manages a LinkedIn page for me, but I don't have. You do have one. I guess I have. You don't have one. I've never seen it yet. <laughs> it's interesting because that's become like kind of the place where business people are now. It's yeah, that's really right evolved over the years. Yeah. Weird. Okay. I'm sort of an old school off the grid guy, I guess. I like it. I like it. It's working for you, clearly. Yeah. Okay. You have a choice now on the last question. You can either answer the question I should have asked you, but I didn't, which you have to determine. Or you can go back in time and you can tell little 12-year-old Flip Howard one thing. Huh. Um, <laughs> go back and tell little Flip Howard one thing. Yeah, okay. I guess uh, I guess I'll answer the, the second, the, the little Flip Howard one thing. Okay. I, I think the older I get, the more I realize how into me I am. And how mm -hmm. into the words that come out of my mouth I am and into like, I, I, w I would tell, and I was that way ever since I was a, you know, teenager. And mm -hmm. I would tell 12 year old Flip to, you know, shut up more and listen more and learn from people around you and stop trying to talk too much and sound smart all the time. I absolutely love that. And I would absolutely agree. The older I get, the quieter I get. The more you don't need to talk, the more you are listening, because everybody tells you exactly who they are if you're just listening. And yeah, and I, you're a step ahead of me because you said the older you get, the quieter you get. The older I get, the more I realize I should be quiet, but I still can't do it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's a practice. It's taken a lot of years to implement the pause. You know, yeah. it's anytime anything really frustrates me, the first thing I do is nothing. Yeah, I just start running my mouth when I get frustrated, <laughs> maybe breaking things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that was awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Flip. I learned a lot about Lucid and a lot about you. And I think people are going to really enjoy this because you are like an OG that is still out there thriving and making it happen. And I'm here for it. I love it. Definitely OG. Well, hey, I appreciated it and enjoyed it. Look forward to seeing you at Juicy. Yeah, we will see you in Salt Lake City here in April. Sounds good. Take care, y'all. And we'll see you on the next Juicy Podcast. Mm -hmm.